Well, it's family game night. Rashi, you want to play a game? Yeah, I do! Oh, great. What do we play? <laughs> Here, we're going to play Watch the Pendulum Dad. Okay, I don't think I know that Here, game. watch. It just goes back right. and forth okay. and back and Are forth. Are there some cards with this game? Uh, or? No, you just watch it for a second. Right. And I think, yeah, yeah. Get the hammer so far you can get him! This is Misty Lee, and oh my god, you guys, he's finally here. He has no idea that we've been talking about him every podcast for three years? Three years. Three years, right? At least once a podcast, his name gets brought up, yes. Every single podcast. He's bright red. You guys have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> guys, Scott Edson's is here, and we have Sandra, and we have Emily. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and we sound like crap yeah, because I'm yelling into an aerial microphone. Do I need to yell or can they hear me? No, they can hear you. Oh, and I'm being obnoxious. <laughs> and um, I, I'm so excited. We're, we sound weird because Ezra is recording us from an aerial view today because we are going to play Cards Against Humanity and y'all are going to listen. Mm -hmm. Now, they don't know how to play Cards Against Humanity, so I'm going to explain it. Um, but I got to look at the cards first. Oh, wait a minute, what have you been saying about me? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to go back and listen to yeah. all the yeah. 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 Oh my god, hello, yeah, we got to tell them who you guys are. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, intro. Yeah, yeah, do you want to do it? You yeah, do it. you do it. What the hell, man, I've been talking this whole time. Lazy, your turn. No. You uh, oh, right? You, you how, about, how, about, how about they do it? Emily, tell you do it. <laughs> Come on, Emily. Tell them who these nice people are. She has no idea. <laughs> I don't even know who I am. Hobart, Hobart, Hobart can do it. Okay. Okay, that pretty much sums it up. Perfect. Uh, no. So Scott is a friend of ours that we've known for several years now, and we met at an Emmys function. Yeah, back uh, in New York uh, for the show 30 Rock. Yep, I was... creeped up on him, and I was like, hey, I'm a big fan of your work, and he was like, hey, that's kind of creepy, and that's how we hit it off. Uh, no, I'm kidding. We actually ended up talking, and he and Paul had a lot in common comics book-wise, yeah. and he and I had a lot in common Second City and gen general miscellaneous assholery-wise, <laughs> and so we get along real, real well, and he has brought into our lives a beautiful hummingbird who is sitting oh. at the table, and I'm going to make cry if I keep going, but her <laughs> name is Sandra, and she's gorgeous, and she's wonderful, and we love them both, and we're so glad they're here. Very happy to be here. Yeah, we're trying to get them to move here from New York. So you yeah. guys need to write them letters and send. You're going to get like 300 letters in your inbox saying, please move to LA. Or write really good scripts. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. See, he'll go where the money is. So I guess we just have to pay let me, him. Let me ask a quick question. So All right. 30 Rock's been on for about a year. Do you, do you miss it? Oh, they don't even know he was on it. You guys, he was on there. <laughs> well, Rock. Yeah. Star Rock, hello. Yeah, he's also a, a very famous improviser in the Second City world. He was in Pinata Full of Bees. Yes. 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 Um, do I miss Thirty Rock? Yeah, I miss the people, and I, I. The thing is, I think the show ended at the right time. Okay. Yeah. In the right way, where all the characters kind of ended up in the right slot for the, each of them, mm -hmm. and um, I'm really, actually, I, I, when it ended, I felt really good about it ending. So yeah, I think I'm, I, I do miss it, but mm -hmm. I think it was the right thing to do, and it was a bold thing to do because uh, we were still doing as well as we ever did in the ratings and uh, it was still one of NBC's smartest shows. Yep. And uh, and 
certainly the best show on NBC at the time. I agree. Yeah. Um, Love that show. Thank you. And I was a PA at NBC right when it started, and everyone always raved about that show. That oh, that's good. One of the best, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but I think we went out while we were still good, before everybody got sick of us, and before we started just being a parody of ourselves. Mm -hmm. my, my favorite episode, just about of anything in the last 10 years, is the... Uh, Blue Man episode, the Tracy Does Conan episode. Oh, yeah. With your uh, toupee and everything. Yeah, the trash in the blue man suit. Yes. 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 Yeah. That is just like, that writing just crackles from scene to scene, you know, with the through line of, of Liz being hungry and then Pete getting the, uh, the, the toupee uh -huh. and, and Jack instilling confidence in him and Tracy. Uh, flipping out. And I get a hero moment in it. Yes, yeah, you, you do. Know, actually, that hero moment gave Paul and I an idea because we were working on a pilot, which I think I may not have told you about. I think I might have told you a little bit. And we're actually gearing up to start pitching it. We got our ABC stories mm -hmm. all set. And I said he would be perfect for the lead. And I he said, totally yes, he would agree. because you go, <laughs> let them through. And I yeah. said, that's it. That's yeah. the moment right there. And Paul was like, yep, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what we would yeah. show. So we're going to try, yeah. you know, when it goes. You got yeah, to buckle down and start writing. I, yeah, I just got to finish it. But it's it's uh, it's very good. And I'll tell you what it is when we're off mic. Okay. Yeah. All I'll need is good lighting and better hair. Mm -mm. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you just need to be you. It's a little, it's a little over the top, and it's a little zanier than you play on TV usually. Mm -hmm. Scott's very busy. He's moved on to many, many other things. Um, uh, in fact, last year during Comic Con, you were shooting a movie with Bill Murray. Can you talk about that? <coughs> yeah, we shot it in Brooklyn. It's called uh, Saint Vincent, and it's um, oh, awesome. Bill Murray and um, Naomi Watts, uh -huh. and uh, I play Melissa McCarthy's ex-husband. Wow. That father. is a pair up. Please tell me you have scenes together. We do. <laughs> 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 I wouldn't call it a comedy per se. That's okay. Because um, you're both solid actors. I'm still excited. We are we <laughs> us solid acting. And, okay. um, and let me see. Bill's co-star in this is a 10-year-old. And wow. he, is, he is my son in the, okay. in the movie. Awesome. When's it coming out? I don't know. <laughs> uh, release for it or? Uh, I haven't heard a release date yet. Um, I don't think they finished editing. Oh. So it may be a little so while. So it's in post right now. Yeah, it's, and it's an indie, shot. so we'll probably go to oh. the festivals first. Oh, oh, neat. Yeah. So it might be at Sundance next year or at Very well, could be. I, I, have a, I had a movie at Sundance this year. Oh. What were you in this year? Uh, it's called Appropriate Behavior. Okay. And uh, it's, uh, it's a great little film that was made also mm. in Brooklyn. Oh, was it yeah. Brooklyn or was it Manhattan? I don't remember now. Mm. Um, yeah, but uh, an expansion of a web series, and it's really good. It's really sweet. Yeah, good. Did you go to Sundance this year? I didn't. I was at the SAG Awards instead. Oh, okay. At the same time. Oh, yeah. I love Sundance. I've been a few times, so uh, I haven't been in the last ten years or so. But it's it's a great environment and see some really. Is it not so crowded that you can't enjoy it? Um, it wasn't when I started going. It, it started to get unpleasant. Right around when I when I went, and that was like ninety seven, ninety eight, around there, and then it, and then I've not been back since then. When I found it was getting too crowded, I went snowboarding, and uh, uh, my first year there, that's where the snowboard came from. It was in my garage right. for years. What? Yeah, I know. Not a lot of snowboarding. In Los yeah. <laughs> I took up snowboarding when I couldn't get into movies, and so I would. Amuse myself by falling off of the sides of the Perfect. In the snow. <laughs> I know. I'm I, gonna go fall off a mountain since y'all. For two years, I dragged that snowboard up there. And two years, I dragged it back after spending 20 minutes on the damn thing. <laughs> I dragged it down the driveway and sold it to some dude for a hundred dollars. There you go. Well, that's that's, what I did with yeah. it. Well, did that, it have a theme? 
Uh, what the the snowboard? Yeah. Yes, it was oops. You, yeah, <laughs> was, yeah. Fat like, bastard off me. <laughs> you were. That a map to the local I wasn't hospital. that bad. Then, no. What? That a map to the local hospital. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said a map of the lost logo, and I was like, Ooh, what? <laughs> that would have been a premonition and a good one. <laughs> I have a cousin who does extreme. He was just in the Olympics for the mm -hmm. freestyle. Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown freestyle skiing. The X Games. The no X Games. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So really. Cool. He was over in Sochi. And he, he made he went the distance, didn't perform as well as he did we what was he, ninth or something? Ninth, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he was also team. he had also like broken his leg or something. He broke everything, you know, we were had a family reunion last year. He was laid up during that and between mm -hmm. practice and broken legs, but he's uh, well, he's only twenty two, so we can do it again. Oh yeah, there's plenty of time. Yeah. There's always time, as Max Maven says. Oh yes, that's true. Yeah. That's something that's been calming him down around here. It's it's funny because when you're in LA, like everyone's like, "Oh Jesus, hurry up!" and you haven't made it this far, and you might as well give up and blah blah blah. And there are so many people who don't make it until they're over fifty. Right. You know, and I think that we don't hear about the story. We see them all over TV, and we never question it. You know, television or in movies or wherever, or in high powerful positions that we don't know about. But for some reason, Paul specifically has just been like, and he just gets really, really wound up because he feels like there is no time, mm -hmm. but there's always time. And so we had uh, Max Maven on the podcast a couple weeks, well, a couple months ago. Actually. Yeah. It's been a while. And one of the things I asked him was, what would you say to a new magician? And he said, slow down. It doesn't happen fast. And you never know what's coming. And you've got the rest of your life. And that's something that he's really starting to, because he gets so overwhelmed with projects, mm -hmm. that he's really starting to slow down his propeller beanie a little bit and sort of just kind of go in one direction and appreciate. Because when you feel like you're at such a fast pace, you tend to lose gratitude for what you have. Mm -hmm. And then you tend to get, she said, with an eyebrow up. And then you tend to get in trouble, she said, with an eyebrow up again. Yeah. And um, so he's trying to slow down, and it's calmed him down quite a bit to recognize that his life's not over and you start comparing yourself to people who are either at your age or younger right and you say well but this 22 year old is and that's that 22 year old's position if you looked at someone like and I hate using this as an example but like Shia LaBeouf for example everyone was like oh my god he's the new Tom Hanks no he's not because he can't behave and he's plagiarizing and he's being naughty and Tom Hanks has had this slow and steady he had a slow and steady climb mm -hmm. and he's doing just fine and then he tapers off and he goes again and so for you to say, but this 22-year-old has, yes, they do. And you have this right. and this and this and but this that's and the this. thing about actors, too, is, you know, people get nervous about not acting and, you sure. know, when they hit their late 40s or something. Uh -huh. And, you know, Hollywood is always going to need Absolutely. men and women in their early 50s. They sure are. Late 60s. The parts are there. They yeah. sure are. And also, and that's good. it's See, a weeding out process, town, too. And then we can have all the work. That's right. <laughs> it's like, oh, you should really leave L.A. Right. Or New York. You've got to go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying I think staying power is there's a lot of power in that once you get to a certain age because people do drop off. They do. They do quit. Mm -hmm. And then well, or they the, flame the, out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and then the uh, the pool gets smaller as you get older. Well, and also if you stick with it, people go, You've been around a while and now I trust you. Mm -hmm. You know, like like Scott adds, it is done. Not only have you had this series where you were a, a very recurring series regular, um, and, and had a starring role, but also you've done this movie and you can carry leads and you've been doing stage forever and they know that no matter what they throw at you, you're gonna turn it into gold because it's what you do. Silver. It, no, gold. <laughs> <laughs> Although silver is a psychic metal, so I'll give you that if you want. But um, 
<laughs> I'm gonna have her all woo woo. <laughs> you know my. Uh, Which is funny because I'm a total skeptic. But that stuff is. But my dad got into acting when he was in his 60s after uh, he and my mom broke up. Mm -hmm. Dad was living in San Francisco and he was taking a break from advertising and real estate. And he's always been a SAG member and he was a singer when he was younger. And he got on the board of SAG and then in San Francisco and suddenly started showing up in all these movies and sometimes he you know he never had any lines or a big part or anything but Nobody background action and commercials they were and paying him to perform yeah, because there weren't a lot of really good looking 65 year old italian men right. who could pull off what he was doing absolutely so. and he's very charismatic and he's a yeah. super solid guy and people sure. do business with people they like they mm -hmm. just do mm -hmm. it's like do i want to see this person every day and that's where you specifically Scott have an, an advantage because you walk in and you're fun and you bring it and you're you know you're always excited to be there you're super grateful because you have been around and you know how rare the work is and so it's and just I know like, how to appear sane right oh yeah that's right. important because you really don't want to you don't want to work revealing, you're revealing <laughs> you're not supposed to say ow and you're not supposed to talk about your things right <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you're right. You're totally right about mm -hmm. wanting to spend 14 hours to 20 hours a day with someone. They may be really brilliant and funny or really brilliant and intense, but if you can't hang around craft service with them or sit in a meeting with them, then you, there's no way you're going to keep working with them. Right, yeah. because why would you want to? Yeah. You spend more time with those people usually than you do with your own family. Mm -hmm. right. And so if this person is brilliant but an asshole, we're going to have to do without or just have them on one day. Mm -hmm. you know, and he's going to have to record alone because he makes eye contact, you know, like you're doing voiceover with all the actors, it doesn't look in his script, you know, it's like, God, you know, so you, you know your job, you do your job, and you love your job, mm -hmm. and you're grateful for the work. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're still around, and why you're still acting, and why you work as much as you do. It's and the it, same with writers, too, you know. When mm -hmm, I, absolutely. When I work as a story editor, I'm, I'm grateful when the writer's work comes in on time, and just I just know that I'm going to rewrite most of it, you know. It's like, it, and that has nothing to do against the writer, or the... Um, or with their enthusiasm for the project, it's just that I'm usually entrusted with seeing the show a certain way, and I it's got to be kind of it's got to be my way, and it's got to be like okay, this is good luck for the character, this not 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 and, you know, and and you want somebody who understands that, who gets it, and um, and you want to work with again, even though you wind up you may wind up changing seventy percent of what they wrote, and it's never like big things, it's just things here or there or sure. camera angles or this Perfect. is not right, the quite right voice. What you don't want is writer is somebody calling all the time and saying, "Was it good? Was it? Did, did, no. did you want me to rewrite anything? I have another draft. I had to cut three pages out. Do you want to see them?" It's like, no, dude, it's it's on my desk. It's in good shape. And, right. And just let me let me take it from here. Well, and as so. an example from Magic, you know, for example, we just completed a run. I was talking about prepping for it uh, for George R. R. Martin in Santa Fe a couple weeks ago, and George was talking to me, and he said, I'm really interested in bringing another magician in, and he said, I'd like to have you back in October, but I had no idea Santa Fe was gonna love this, because we sold out, there was a 125 seat theater, and the first night they had to turn 30 people away, wow. and he, with very little advertising, and uh, they had to turn 30 people away, and George was actually ousted from his own private owner's box to make standing room only room for some of these people to accommodate, and he was thrilled, and so were we, I mean, what, a, you know, what an honor, right. thank you Santa Fe. But he said, this one went really well, and I'd like to do it again. And I said, wonderful. And he said, four times a year. And I said, no, <laughs> that's too much. I'm going to burn out. Like, not, you know, because he said, you have all new material. And I said, yes, I do. But I don't want to be, four times a year, that's, we're going to burn through a lot. 
And I said, so how about I come back? You know, we were talking about it. We brainstormed. I didn't, I didn't say this, but we came up with it together. He said, come back in October and do my creepy, spooky show. Maybe we'll show some Vincent Price movies and you can be like the, the magic at the end of that week. And I said, great. And he said, and I was watching you talk about your magic mentors because I do a piece with sand now where I talk about three, <coughs> excuse me, talk about three magicians who have meant a lot to me. And I talk about Bizarro, I talk about Pendragon, and I talk about Miss Dina, uh, who's a female magician who's worked with me a lot. And he said, you know, I was listening to you talk about the three of them, and I'd like to meet Bizarro. And, and I said, <laughs> done. Because oh. Jimmy is not only a solid, yeah, you guys know him, yeah, he's yeah, been yeah. on the he's podcast. Great. Yeah. Not only is he brilliant, not only is he a really intelligent guy who invents his own stuff, not only is he creative, not only does he put on a good show, so I trust him professionally, mm. but also he's a solid dude, mm. and he's been very, 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 very good for me, and, and to me over the years. He's been a very strong mentor and believed in me when I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, and he just would say to me, would you please quit quitting? Just quit quitting magic, just quit it. You met me at a point where I was like, I'm fucking done with magic, and here I am. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's been an interesting up and down journey, but he never stopped keeping me motivated and stuff. So in addition to referring this solid magician, there's tons of magicians I trust professionally, but I'm about to give this dude George R. R. Martin's personal email address, and I have to trust him to be decent to this person. I'm not going to be there to mediate his, mm. um, his temperament, and so if things get out of control, I know what he's going to have to handle. Mm -hmm. His wife assisted me. Jimmy's all set. She can tell him all about the venue, tell him what does and doesn't work, and I can, with 100% confidence, say Jimmy's solid all the way around right. because he's a good guy. And I mean, I've worked with him for years, and I know that that connection is going to work. Right. There are other magicians who would be great in the space who I would never refer mm -hmm. because they would either stink up the place with their ego or behave badly. They might not treat people around them with the respect that they deserve. It might be a smaller town than they're used to dealing with. So many things. Mm -hmm. But I know, because I know Jimmy through and through, the same way you know that I would for you. If somebody was like, oh, I'm looking for a guy for whatever, I'd be like, oh my God, you need mm -hmm. Scott Adson. You know, like I said, you know, for example, we were looking at this, this pilot and you'd be first choice. I mean, it would be so easy when it sells. And it, it, I have a feeling it's gonna sell. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, um, it's interesting you know, how much of it has to do with personality and how much of it is just talking about staying power, just sticking to it and being you and knowing that you're enough. You know, so um, many people I, don't. I went to, I guess it was a year ago or two years ago when I saw your show, you did an improv night in New York mm -hmm. when you, uh, when I saw you and it was you and Rachel Dratch and who else was on, was on that? It was, I, I know, look, I, it, you, I mean, you must do that so often, yeah. you know, yeah. But it was at a it was at a club and it was like about four or five of you and I think what might have been one of the other uh, writers on Dirty Rock. Uh, yeah, maybe Kay. Yes, that, that's who it was. And she's and, nice. Kay Cannon. Yeah, and it was like watching athletes, you know, like a, you know, like a like a tennis match by gym in gymnastics at the same time about how quick it all was and how fast and how funny it all is and. And you've worked with all these people a lot of times before, I'm presuming, and so you, you just you just know where they're going, where you know how to how to do it. It's kind of like jamming. Yeah. You know, as yeah. a band that uh, that musicians who know each other really well uh -huh. and can pass the baton, and then also work in harmony, um, and and let all those uh, movements come and go. Right. And then good improvisers generally can also jam with. You know, as musicians can jam with people they don't know, right? Because they kind of know 
the rules and how to how to make everyone else look good. That's the right. whole point of it. Right, right. It, in my career, I, I think the closest I came was something was when I worked with Alex Ross. You know, he had a very clear vision of what he wanted to do, and I think that I kind of dovetailed with that vision. So he would talk in a big scale, and I'd say, when I wrote the outline, it'd be like this, and he'd say, yes, but also like this, and then you know, you just sort of. It is like being in a band, and it's like he might be the singer, and I'm giving him backup, but you know, I'm also contributing mm -hmm. too. And I think that's really magical in any performance or yeah. in any the creative arts. Well, I, you know, I know the books you're talking about. Yeah, and these big oversized books about Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, mm -hmm. the Justice League, sure. and Shazam. Yes, that's right. And and what they are are timeless uh, reminders of who the core of these mm -hmm. characters are mm -hmm. and I don't think of that as as like he's Sinatra and you're the backup band right you know that's you guys are doing a duet there mm. uh, I'm, I'm doing March. true <laughs> true equals yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you're not. You're, what I'm saying is, yeah. you know, you're you're not Joey. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There you go. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Now you guys do work well together, and you create. And Paul and Alex are actually yeah. working on original properties together. Mm. I probably shouldn't say that. Well, they can know that. They just can't know what it is. No. And they talk on the phone every once in a while, and it's kind of interesting because Alex is a super creative, super nice guy. His dad actually married us. Did you know that? I didn't know. That. Yeah, his yeah. dad's a reverend. And we had a masquerade ball for our wedding. Everybody came in costume. Uh, do you know Scott Campbell? Yeah. Uh, his wife, I don't know if, if they're married now, but he came to the wedding. Um, we didn't really know him, but Bill Morrison and Care wanted to travel with them, and they said, because Scott Campbell was a super nice guy. Mm -hmm. Friggin' loves that he's there. Girlfriend at the time came as a fish. As a fish. <laughs> oh, you can laugh. You don't have to be And I said, I was walking with my dad down the aisle, and I leaned over to him, and I said, hey, dad. And he said, and I said, that's a fish. <laughs> he said, it really is. And I said, that fish is about to watch me get married. And, I said, and he said, you are correct. And I said, whatever game people play with their weddings, I just want it. And that was our conversation as we were going down the aisle. And he was like, you really kind of did, because I think she's got ping pong balls for eyes. And I, like, I saw it. Do you remember her name? Mm, was it Jill? Uh, maybe. I think so. Maybe. Okay. I can show you a picture of her dressed as a fish. You know her face. Okay. Yeah. Do you know I, about well, the fish face? Right. <laughs> she looks like this. <laughs> I mean, a fish face. It's her. So, yeah. No, she's a super, super nice girl, but I, I mean, that was the only time I think I ever met her, okay. was as a fish. Uh, it was great, but his dad dressed as the character from Kingdom Come that is based on him. Yes. And I thought, because I had never read Kingdom Come, that it was Colonel Sanders. <laughs> I said, I Norman love your McKay. Colonel Sanders costume. And he said, this is my character from Alex's original book, Kingdom Come. And I said, well, I don't know what that is, so it's my wedding and you're Colonel Sanders now. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I'm also going to hell. Uh, that, also, that pretty much covers the description of you. Going to hell? Yeah. No, no, just... Uh, <gasps> Oh, I love your Colonel Sanders costume. Not Colonel Sanders. Yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of uh, that's Misty Lee in a nutshell right there. It kind there. of is. Yeah, bossing around Alex's poor dad. You know. <laughs> I know I just met you, but uh, I'm going to tell you what you are. <laughs> even you if are you resist, I, I don't care. Cause it's my wedding and my turn. Did the fish have a, a mask that she held up She didn't. She had built a head where her face stuck out of it, and it had two... I'll, I'll get the photo. But she, um, she had, uh, she had a, a very beautiful like mermaid-style dress that came came down and she had made herself a hat 
that tied under her chin okay. that looked like a shark head that came to a point. So she was like in the fish's mouth and oh, its eyes were here. Oh, okay. um, she was committed. I mean, it was Were there prizes? <laughs> just watch and don't get married. <laughs> uh, you get married too. <laughs> she's the only costume we still talk about. Yes. So she won. Yeah. <laughs> Costumes. It was her day. No. Misty <laughs> came dressed as what? She, well, we came to the before party as a king and queen of hearts, which she rocked as a queen of hearts. I wore That's this. That's my mother's suggestion. Oh, do you know why? Why? Did you, did you tell did you tell you the story about how we chose these costumes? You were only gone like a few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you had one job. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, because we were trying. You're no, it one. was not that they fit. Nice try. The reason that we came to the wedding. Oh yeah, you wouldn't let me wear the platypus. Costume. I would not. <laughs> I had this great platypus costume all picked out. Wow. It, I mean, it even had the poison spur in the in the leg and everything. Oh. $1,200. Oh. Yeah. He Did you buy some... it for the wedding? He didn't buy yeah. it. Yeah. Because he said, I'm thinking this. I said, I think I'd like to get married in this. And I said, you do that. And I'm going to come in a tracksuit and a veil and be the runaway bride. And he said, oh, so the platypus is out? I said, platypus <laughs> So my mom said, why don't you guys just go easy? Because we were fighting, fighting. We weren't really fighting, but it was like, I want to do this. And I was like, I don't want you to do that. That was it. Like, I had no ideas. I just didn't want anything he suggested. And um, so my mom said, why don't you guys go as the king and queen of hearts and just really make it simple on yourselves and then change into actual wedding gear? Because we decided that okay. you're still pissed about the platypus. No, I'm pissed about the king of hearts costume because I wore that Prince Valiant wig. I thought it would make me look good, but I wound up looking like a gracelessly aging fat Betty Page. I think it was like, like the current Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, that's what I thought that, you looked like. Six of one. <laughs> you, you say to me. Let me see. So I'm not, I, you're not looking at all this But I look like a big fat lady wearing a black page. That's what Misty wanted to marry. It is. Oh. It was, I was like, when I was a little girl and dreaming up my husband, that was it. I was like, I want him to look like Linda Ronstadt. In the future. In the future. I'll just remind me when I was in prom, uh, I wore a Japanese silk ceremony kimono, and I was like, I'm going to be the most interesting costume at my prom. And then somebody showed up in a chicken outfit, and I was like, God! Oh, you know what's close? <laughs> There's always Comic Con. Yeah. I think you still won. Pretty, yeah, <laughs> Thank I you. Still, I wow. like, that guy had to stand around like a chicken all Yeah, that, that's true. True. I just wore a cloak to mine. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> here's the Linda Ronstadt costume. you got to put your monitor oh, on. Oh, please, don't show that. <laughs> right on the top. Oh, yeah. good God. Oh, yeah. Oh. He looks like Linda, doesn't he? Oh, you're cute. Oh. <laughs> I like the bob. Uh -huh. I, I would say you are And then there's the queen being really, the, <laughs> as, as the queen is wont to do. Right? Okay, so. Don't, don't worry, Paul, this is great. Oh, and there's the fish. There's the no, fish. No, no, where? Scott Gimple's fish. fish. Oh my god. Fish. Who was that fish? I can't say. Who was that fish? You'll scrub your eyes and go. Here she yeah. is again. Oh, oh, okay. Sandra, do you have reading glasses? Not with me, no. Oh. I don't think I have reading glasses. Oh, wait, I might have fake nerdy ones. Oh, wait, here, look. Awesome. Yeah, I think you look very handsome, actually, Paul. You do, Paul. You're too great. George R. R. would really love this part. Oh, oh, look, there's Misty. How beautiful. This one time, Bruce, Tim, and I were going to go to Comic-Con dressed as Sailor Scouts. We had such Here, a bad time. I have all my, like, 
big after so nerdy glasses in here, and I think this these are actual I think the X-rays. Okay. will work, right? I taped, <laughs> I taped them so they look like a nerd. Oh no, those are. Uh, this is like Fred Sanford's drawer. <laughs> the chunk in the chunk is right here, honey. Paul's go. got X-ray vision glasses on. Are those working? Yeah. Nice. That's not who I thought it was. Oh damn! Sorry, Scott. <laughs> and Jill. Yeah, we got sorry, Jill. Scott was dressed as mayor. A yes. mayor. And she is a fish. So he's just a suit with a sash made of paper towels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scott. And she's a fish. Like he's usually creative guys. You so know, you want to keep those because you're gonna have to read these. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, so that there's the fish. I love this one. Wait. <laughs> you look like a fish in this one. I was a fish. The two green hornets, one she party. Was, she was telling me. Oh no, that's a spirit, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the, the green hornet meets the spirit. Yeah. Bill Morrison was the green hornet and Alex Ross was the spirit. Nice. Great costumes. That's fun. Um, you know, I, 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 was fact. I was drawn into an issue of the spirit as Misty Lee. Oh. The spirit comes and asks me a question about a magic castle magician. Thank you, Sergio Aragones. How cool, cool is that? I, am, uh, I have been drawn into Deadpool oh. as oh. a shield oh. agent. I'm, a, I'm a, almost a, nearly a regular, but I'm a very vital part of the plot at the moment. Excuse oh, really? Me. And, oh, uh, it looks like me. Uh, he drives name? the plot, <laughs> and his name is Agent Scott Adson. Oh, ah, yes! Nice! Awesome! Because of uh, Jerry Duggan and Brian Posehn. Why are you not oh, on Agents Brian of Shield? Shield? Yes. Okay. Well, that, they're trying. Yeah, clearly they're trying. You know, you and Clark Gregg, I, I worked with Clark several times on Spider-Man, and he is a rock-solid dude. You guys would have a lot of fun. We, yeah, we've met at parties and functions and yeah. like actory things. And, He's uh, a really neat guy. Really, really nice guy, and, and yeah. we nerd out a little bit. We've paused for a moment to allow Scott to grab a sketchbook filled with sketches of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, a series by Alan Moore. Featured in the sketchbook was art by Alex Ross, featuring the 30 Rock cast as all the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen characters. Really good at getting an essence. He looks at someone and goes, Psh! it's like he takes a snapshot of who you are and what you look like to other people. Oh, that's pretty oh, cool. That's really, you can read. Of course, it's like this big. I, right. I believe that from the picture. I love that. From that. Oh, come yeah, on. Right. Excuse me. Just yeah. come on. It's really cool, right? And let's see, Alan. So, there's me. Oh, yeah, huh? That's awesome. <laughs> uh -huh. Look at that. That's just. I, I, it's ridiculous. Crazy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so uh, good. Okay, so then. <laughs> Yeah, me is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And Jane is the uh, statue in the back. Yeah. <laughs> the symbol of uh, Albion. Mm -hmm. uh. ah! Oh my god! Oh my lord! Oh wow, that is spot on! It's amazing. That's oh, a glower and everything. I thoroughly disapprove of this sketchbook and its typical American swagger to take advantage of my work and treat it as a common harlot to be tarted up for some comedian's benefit. I put a hex upon all those who grace its pages, so do so at your peril. Fantastic. <laughs> Alan Moore at the end of your League of Oh, that's wonderful. Sketchbook. That's amazing. But I mean, but every one of these sketches is just yeah. stunning. Amazing. When we were, uh, we had done the Superman book, which was God, years ago. We, it's been like 98. We were over in London promoting it. We went on the BBC and, you uh, and Alex. Alex. Uh -huh. And then we went to the, this guy, Nick Barucci, had a, had a QBC oh, yeah. show from London. And he had us on the show later. What the fuck he's doing? Well, he's, yeah, Back when we were dating. Yeah. Anyway, we were over in London and um, 
which was a, a pretty fun trip. But at one point, Al, uh, Alex says to me, do you want to go meet Alan Moore? And uh, he's up in Northampton. Do you want to see if we can go up and meet him? And I said, sure. I'd never met him before. And I think Alan and Alex had met him once. And so we, he had planned on going to see him. And he asked me, do you want to come along? And I said, all right. And he made some inquiries to, to, to do that. And the answer we got back was, Alan is home, but he's not currently in our dimension. <laughs> or he's traveling through time. It's sort of like in the time machine. It didn't go anywhere, but it's someplace else in time. And Alan was currently in that state. So at the house, but not, not on a dimension that we could understand. So we didn't get to see him. Ray Fox. Whoa. The nerdiest Noah you could ever get. Yes. Yeah, kind of, yes. Ray Fox. Is I had also heard from an editor who worked with him once, the reason he was late on the script was that he was in a tree talking to Merlin. <laughs> and I don't mean sitting in the branches. I mean, you know, Merlin locked away. And you spend Alan... a lot of time in trees. I talk about it a lot. I'm sitting in a tree, like, screaming. But Yes, uh, that's usually it. That's what I call when he gets, like, super high-strung emotional. <laughs> one of my wifely duties that I signed on for and didn't know I was signing on for is talking the creative out of the tree. Wow. Yes. But I was going to say, Ray Fox once said about Alan Moore, he was watching him when he was an up-and-coming writer, and Ray is uh, working on Justice League Dark now. He's a really, really nice guy, Canadian. Him and Jim, uh, uh, Jim Zub, I think he goes by Zub, actually, mm -hmm. now. Uh, Zubkovich is his name. Uh, super nice dudes. Met them in Calgary a couple years ago. But Ray was talking about becoming an up-and-coming writer. I'm listening to Alan. And Alan was on a panel and lit up. Started smoking weed, just sitting there on the friggin' panel. Huge roach. I mean, just lit it up, like, <laughs> as big as his arm. And he's sitting there, and someone said, Alan, you are extraordinarily productive. You are so prolific. What is it, you know, that really keeps you, you know, calm and focused? And he took a huge hit on this, on this, on this joint and responded, I have tremendous time management skills. <laughs> <laughs> and so I suppose a time machine... Uh, would actually. Oh, <laughs> there yeah. you go. So. Well, as he defines the time machine. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Up mean, in his tree. Thing goes a little slower. Is yes. Extraordinary yeah. time management. Yeah. It's like when I do the the Kevin Smith Batman on Batman podcast. And you always come home with. I get a contact buzz when you walk in the door. And it's like I I I I, I jump the car and speed to Chick Fil A. And I just <laughs> told them everything on there, you please. I don't even eat Chick-fil-A. I do now. Especially like, now that they were mean to the gays. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I apologize wholeheartedly to the gays. But I am so buzzed. That's the closest fast food place to his. And I just, I just can't, I can't wait. I can't wait for, like, Subway. Or, does he or put anything. them home? What? He does it at home. Yeah. There's a ton of fast food places around there. I know, but Chick-fil-A is the closest one. So it's he, like, Kevin lives by Magic Castle. So it's close by. Yeah, if I went to Yamashiro, I'd be like, I'd be stepping on the place. It'd be like, bring me all your sushi. I'm so damn hungry. But, uh, uh, you look at yourself here. How do I look at these borrowed glasses? You look like a nerd. Actually, they look good on you. I can't see them from here. Yeah, they, they look good on you. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, am I going home with them? Uh, well, you can, if you, if you would like them. They no, I've got some at home, thank you. You've got a whole lot of But no, I just gave it to you so you could use them. They, they look yeah, good. Yeah, they do. You, I just want to look good for the podcast. It's a nice yeah. Well, yeah. I understand. And, and, and our listeners appreciate your vanity oh. because, you know, without that, we don't want ugly people on this. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to be looking much better than Ashley. Well, I just threw that in the kitchen. Where are the dogs? 
They're both, one, uh, Deuce is lying on the Sultan bed in my office, and Muggsy is curled up in your office in Worf's bed. Oh, okay. We still refer to it as Worf's bed. He's been gone for four, four, four years. He said that when, we had, that was our first little dog that we had, he said that when, when Worf passed away, he said, I don't ever want this bed to be without a Boston in it. So we left it there. Aww. Yeah, and, and they fill it every once in a while. Yep. Mm -hmm. They yep. get it. Yeah. Well, it's also super comfortable and warm. Yeah, right. And he put a little pen and put some Boston <laughs> University Emerson pennants around. So it's at their eye level, yeah. we, that's something we learned from Javi. Our, our friend, have you ever met Javi? You should meet Javi. Javi agree on much. Oh, you would get along man. real yeah. good with yeah. Javi, the middleman. He does that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's really smart. He's really funny. You guys would get along real well. I, I would I'm, like you to know him. I think oh. I read the first or first couple arcs of that. Mm -hmm. We worked on Lost together for a season. Yeah, he's I liked I liked the TV show version. Though. I thought it was cute. Yeah, uh -huh, it was really uh -huh. fun. Cute. That's terrible. No, it was cute. It was, it was cute. It was and that's really that's a fun. legit review of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he, you guys, I, I would like you to know, maybe we can get him and Sarah when you guys come to the castle. I would like you to know him. Mm -hmm. See, that's another thing. You just you you guys will really get on. Um, but Javi, uh, what, what was I talking about him? What was I on about? Dogs. Dogs. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what we learned from him. He had a dog named the Kremlin, and the Kremlin used to have artwork at eye level down at their house. And he no said, way. why would I not hang art for them to also appreciate? Oh my gosh. And I thought, you know what? That's oh. legit. I would really great. like that. And so he hung little Boston University pennants down for Deuce and Muggsy above their little bed down low. That's super cute. What were you going to ask me, Scott? Was it dog-specific art? I think it was all paintings of other dogs, yes. Yeah, they're doing dog things. You know, that would bring them I'm, joy. I'm just picturing a picture of a dog butt so they can go and Right, right. You know, so, I mean, it's like in the portrait. You yeah. Know, but they, it was, it was really interesting. And I thought, what an interesting choice. Well, we could do that here. We've we got, do we've do got that. Well, you know, have a, yeah. Take some of our What okay. would you do if you came home and I had ripped out all the pages of that book you were just showing and put it around for Julie at his eye level? What book? The sketchbook. The sketchbook. Oh, I don't think he'd be pleased. Well, I think I would have to start reading the book to Truly so he'd understand what he was looking at. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Alan Moore. <laughs> oh, I heard about him. Yeah, I have to the read the actual one. comic too. Actually, Truly might know Alan Moore for all you know. Yeah, maybe old friend. Another dimension. It could be. <laughs> it definitely be. So you guys want to play a game? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What okay. game? Uh, we're gonna play this game called Cards Against Humanity. Wait, wait, wait. Who is, who is Emily and why is she here? Oh. <laughs> you mean I'm not from another dimension? <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't here just a second ago. You don't have Say to. Say your name me. backwards and see if you vanish from anything. <laughs> <laughs> Nerds! <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. It makes a spittle like... Kill Nerds! Come on, this is basic. How do, you, how do you say it forwards? Makes a spittle like. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Mixies. Mixie is yeah. yeah. The way it was on Superman. Well, I, I made it more of a spit because you could spit. I was like, Mixie has spit like because he spat in Superman's eye. That's rude. Mr. Mixie spit like he does. I'm using John Burns' pronunciation. What says that? Which is Mixie spit like. Oh yeah, there you go. He spelled it out. He really. Yeah, yeah. He 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 found it. He put it on phonetically somewhere in some Superman comic. Do you agree or disagree that that uh, Mixie would make a great villain from a Superman movie? Why have they not used him? Or is he just too silly or a con or, or too weird a concept to put in a movie? I think it's, I, I don't know. I think it's a little too, too I think he's the one to go to once you're done with the really serious ones. He's, yeah. he's, he's the sorbet. 
So yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So I think you have to run through a bunch of other ones first. Right. You're right. You got to reimagine him. Yeah, yeah. I kind of don't want to go to the Alan Moore place, even though that was really brilliant. Well, also, how brilliant. do you find the humanity in an alien fighting an alien on Earth? Who gives a shit? Oh, That's God, my that, question. Did you like that movie? Which, Which one? one? The last one. I did not. I really. I hate. I don't want to shoot my foot here in Hollywood, but that. I really was angered by that movie. Yeah, I, I think mean, that's exactly what I mean, happened. He killed was. so many people, and then, oh. and then he. There's a, you there's know a what? Scene, it's fine. We talk like this on here all the time. There's a scene where they're surrounded before the end when they're surrounded by the the devastation and all the the the, the building and people dust covering the mm -hmm. city around them, and they're in that ground zero area. And it's Perry and the uh, intern or whoever that was, mm -hmm. and Lois. And Superman lands, and Lois has the gall, surrounded by nothing but dead bodies, to say, you saved us. Mm -hmm. I actually yelled in the theater. I've never, ever in my life yelled out in the theater. Mm. But it came out, and I said, save what? Yeah, really. The city is dead. That I, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's some, somebody did a, did the, the, um, whatever the devastation committee is, mm -hmm. who goes and, and tallies up yes. the damage, financially and uh, and as far as lives go. And it's something, you know, along the order of like 50,000, 90,000 yeah. dead. Yeah. And, you know, several trillion dollars worth of damage. Mm -hmm. And it would, would, the city would never recover from it. Now, right, right. 9-11 yeah. had what, 4,000? Yeah, that, all told, that building isn't done yet. Right. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'll tell you. You know, the the thing that made me shout oh, no, out right. in the movie no, no. chair, yeah, and I actually did shout out. Sure. How dare you? This one scene. It was a small thing, but to me, this showed me that they did not understand something key about Superman's or Clark's character. And it's a small thing, and it's a throwaway shot. And I really had a bad time with this. And for one thing, they made Pete Ross an asshole. You know, and they did this scene where. <laughs> They're fighting in Smallville, and they break into, thank you, product placement, the International House of Pancakes. It just can't be something generic like, well, Waffle House is a generic. Freddy's but, Breakfast. Yeah, Freddy's Breakfast or something. Norms. They're fighting in a, they go from fighting to Sears to fighting to the goddamn House of Pancakes. And they show Sears. that Pete Ross is now the manager or a guy working at the, at the, at the, the House yeah. of Pancakes. Superman gets up, recognizes him, gives him this look of utter contempt. Pete Ross shrinks away, and I went, how dare you? You don't understand. He would never demean somebody from Smallville like that. That's what he aspires to. Well, and it Clark Kent, in his heart, aspires to be the manager. That's, mm -hmm. He would trade places with that guy in a second mm -hmm. well, to be the manager, at the just to, to, to stay in Smallville. And that was the problem I had at the core of that movie, was yeah. the fact that they robbed him of the humanity. They left yeah. him as super, super alien. And I don't give a shit about that. I want to see the choice to ally with the human side. Mm. And that I did not see that choice. There was so much death and devastation by choice. Yeah. yeah. And that makes him a villain too. Yeah. And I did not like him is at all. Yeah, yeah. Nobody dies. Yes, that's right. That's right. Nobody nobody died in all four of the original Superman yeah. movies. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's one death in there. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I, I should Except Pa Kent. But the guy maybe the guy at the beginning who Lex kills. Yes. Yeah, yeah Lois, so. but he turned back time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, Superman should mourn for, for Smallville. Not because he wrecked the place, but it's like, he can't go back there. It's like, leaving Smallville is like Arthur pulling the sword from the stone. When he did it, 
he wept and immediately stood in the T.H. White's version of the Sword in the Stone. Runs mm -hmm. for it, pulls it out. He can't be Wart anymore. He has no. to go and be Arthur. His life is ended. That's, you know, it's interesting. That's funny. And it, this has nothing to do with comic books, but that's exactly the example that I give. Yeah. People say, why have no legitimate psychics come forward for the James Randi Educational Foundation? Uh -huh. And my answer to them is because a million dollars is not enough. If you could really speak to the dead and could legitimately prove yourself, for those of you at home who don't know, the James Randi Educational Foundation is carrying on Harry Houdini's work. Harry put forward a challenge when he partnered with the Scientific American in the latter half of his career that if you were a legitimate medium or psychic and could come forward and he could scientifically prove that you could do these and you could do them on expectation and you could produce, he would give you $10,000. And he died in 1926, which was a hell of a lot of money. The James Randi Educational Foundation, hush hush, funded by Johnny Carson, is the rumor, has carried on that tradition, but the prize is now a million dollars. And people ask me every time I do seances in the, in the room, why doesn't a legitimate psychic come forward? They ask me, do you believe it's out there? And I say, I believe it might be, but I haven't seen it, which is as honest an answer as I can mm -hmm. give, because usually I can explain that stuff away. Um, and, and I say, I hope it is out there. I want it to be out there. And people say, well, if it is out there, why hasn't someone come forward? And going back to where I was going, a million dollars is not enough. Your life is over. The minute people find out that you can talk to someone dead, every single person who has lost someone they love, and that's all of us, is going to want to talk to them just one more time. Mm -hmm. Your life is over. Mm -hmm. And a million dollars is not enough. No way. It's not mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. It's a joke in comparison to what, all of a sudden, your life becomes not about you. It is not lived anymore. You have now become a superhero, and that is your choice to come forward, and there's no way. Mm -hmm. So, going back to what you were saying, I apologize. Well, actually, that kind of dovetails with the mixy idea a little bit, you know, and again, it would require some reinvention from a little guy in a little bowler hat, but he would, I could see a character, if not that character, somebody like it saying, you have changed people's perception of reality. You've changed to Superman. You have changed everything they think about life and shown them there's something else. And I am a being who can change what you think you know about reality. So I'm the step beyond you. You know, you got the humans, we got you, and then we got me who's like God to you. And you better show me some respect or I'll wipe out everything. Mm -hmm. And I think a character like that, whether you play him funny at first or demonic or whatever, that might, that might work, you know, if as long as you kept the body count down. Yeah. Because really, there was there was so much. Superman has to serve so many masters in these movies, you know. It's not... Well, and they're all interested in putting their thumbprint on it and retelling an origin story. Sure. You know, but at his core, he's just a poor little farm boy who's different than everybody else, and that's where his humanity lies. Right. Is the fact that I also don't fit. Nobody fits. And I have all these things that I can do, and I still don't fit, and I'm trying to fit, and I love everybody. You know, right. like that's really what, at the core, is that little boy that, that came in a pod and found love where he had been denied Yeah, you know, and he has all these it. powers to be what other people wish they could be, and mm -hmm. yet it's like and getting so he everything chooses you want. to be an aspirational character because he sees that I could have anything superficial that I wanted, exactly. but there's something else. Right. Humanity has something more to offer. And when you rob him of that in an origin story, he becomes genuinely unlikable and just an asshole. Mm -hmm. I felt the same, you know, in a forgive me, Marvel, I love you guys, and thank you for keeping me employed, but I felt the same about the revamp of Spider-Man. I t thought they turned him to a guido and an asshole. Mm -hmm. And I'm not interested in seeing some douchebag Italian ass-slap a waitress and behave badly when he has these superpowers. And that doesn't make him better than me. What it did makes you do him that? Was dick. that the third one? 
It was in the new one. It was in the new launch. Oh. You don't remember how furious I was? I we took Cal in London to see that, and I stormed out, and you said, I kind of liked it. And I said, I hated it. Okay. I was furious. <laughs> and I felt the exact same about Superman. <laughs> you know, it's and it's just like, I don't think that that's an aspirational character. I don't think there's any hero in that, because yeah. the humanity is in the weakness. Well, that's, yeah. you know, it's it's really, it's in the choice, is where I Absolutely. usually find it's It's like Batman. You know, he made a choice to not to use that anger to help. And that's what makes a hero, as far as I'm concerned. At least that's my personal definition of a hero. Mm -hmm. And when they, def when they defile that, I, I get bummed out mm -hmm. because I don't want to see an arrogant asshole flying around shooting lasers out of his eyeballs. That's what laser cats are for. Well, here, um, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. hero, hero's journey aside, yes. there's also a practical moment at the end, you know, in that moment that, that supposedly is the moment of controversy. Yeah. Um, before that happens, there's a family crouching, and Zod is yep. moving his laser eyes toward them. Yes. And it strikes me that his laser eyes go wherever he looks. Am I wrong? That's how laser eyes work. <laughs> yeah. So if he's got a target, he's not like slowly turning his head toward what he assumes is still there. He just looks at them. And he just doesn't look at them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And just, I mean, he doesn't have to, like, turn his head and get it over there. He just looks at them. Yeah. His eyes, can, he, he can lock his head down and his eyes just look at them. Yeah, oh, I think there's a family <laughs> slow, yes. oh, yeah. exactly. the slow burn is more exciting. <laughs> there's no slow <laughs> you watch an old black and white film and see the with the machine that makes a laser. That would have worked if Jimmy Finlayson had played, uh, you know, boop, boop, like from a Laurel and Hardy. That's what the I'm You can't stop me, Oliver Hardy. But here's the other thing. You know, if they want to ally Superman with with Christian with 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 Christ imagery so much, he should have just slapped his hands over Zod's eyes. Yeah, they would have gotten some the stigmata. Awesome. They could have given the stigmata. Why would he have broken oh his neck? God. Why wouldn't he have? He would have sacrificed his hands to, right. he, rather than kill. There's so many other ways. Or he's, his arms are wrapped around him. He just does that jump in the air thing to go boom up yeah. there. Hello. There are so many other choices they could have made, and they didn't make them, and that made me angry. I found it lazy filmmaking. Mm. I thought it was like really lazy. Well, lazy storytelling. And I thought, yeah. this is really weak. There's so many, I mean, this, what, did they write this on Swiss cheese? I was really pissed at the holes in the, yeah, in oh, the, in the I mean, I just, there were so many plot holes, and I was so disappointed in it. And, yeah. you know, but the thing, he loves the heroes so, he loves them so much, and he knows, especially the DC universe, he knows all of them. Mm. Yeah, just so do you. You know, but he knows it. He knows them so well, he can justify any choice they make based on history or the Bible or whatever. Well, you know, I just go blah, blah. And I'm like, shut up! That guy was an asshole, and I don't like assholes. I cannot abide by assholes. And he was like, but, and there's no, 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 but. Don't defend it. This is garbage. I don't like the Christopher Nolan Batman. But story. then again, you're the one they have to appeal to. You know, they have to. What, the ignoramus? No. You, well, no, not, not in those terms. But, you know, somebody. But yes. Somebody with. <laughs> all right, all right. Someone exactly. who's not familiar. I always with use this as an example. No, it's okay. okay. I'm not offended. The first time I saw Star Wars, nobody knew what the movie was right. about. I actually went to a preview in Boston. When I was still in college. I saw it when I was, what, when did it come out, 79? Yeah, you were one. 77. Oh, I was one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was a baby. Right. They, when I came out, they saw, I saw one later, I remember my mother stuffed movie straw papers in my ears, and I spent the whole time crying at her feet. Okay. So that must have been one of the later ones. Um, yeah. 
I remember Wait, so, the night I saw And you were in Scarlet. college? Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, okay. we just want to um, that out there. But anyway, I. Uh, <laughs> first year. So I, I was. Troll in nurseries for a day. Oh, look, this one slits right <laughs> oh, the side. Yeah. They premiered, they did a sneak preview in Boston because it's a college town. Right, right. You're going to go get high and go yeah. see science fiction. Oh, right. So <laughs> and I had finished my job at Bringing as a Bartender. So, uh, Cleaning junior men's office seat in the theater. That was when I worked as a, a, at a legitimate theater house. Okay. Was, Anyway, I'm going down the street, and, I, and it's like, hey, Star Wars, that, that, that crappy-looking science fiction that. movie is opening, you know? I hope it's as exciting as Logan's Run. Yeah, that's what I thought when I saw it. When I saw the preview for it, like, I'd seen the preview, like, three weeks before, and it's like, I am C-3PO, who put cyborg relations? And Luke is, like, leaning over and he goes, hello. Yeah. And I'm going, like, oh, this, oh, this Logan's Run. It's going to be awful. I don't mm -hmm. care. But I said, I'm not He did the Mark Hemenier. Hello. Well, yeah, it does. He goes, this is uh, this is our two teacher. He goes, hello. Hello. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I remember that commercial really well. Yeah, Star Wars. Um, and I remember watching the movie and being absolutely captivated by it. And so was everybody else in the theater. And there was a guy behind me. He looked like he was about four years old. That scene where they're going down the Death Star trench and R two is hit. The guy went, oh, like he was so invested in the movie and the characters, and he knew nothing about R two D two ninety minutes before. Yeah. So with Superman, they have to appeal to the same people. Somebody like. Superman, he's a superhero. I, I've seen yeah. a couple of comic books with him. You have to go there and really be invested in and, that character. And that's where... Uh, and, and it can't and, be just for the geeks, and it can't just right. be for, you know, guys who are, you know, or, or it's the gotta be, It's got to be like your project with Alex Ross. Yeah, yeah. It's got to tell a seminal story about that character. And that was the challenge, is like, do we bring in Luthor? Do we bring in Bizarro? It's like, no, we can't. We have to honor George the George R. R. Martin is bringing in Bizarro. Well, I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm just kidding. But, uh, but we, uh, with Batman, we couldn't bring in the Joker. We couldn't bring in any of those characters. We couldn't make it a story like... We couldn't do the ultimate Batman-Joker fight. I mean, uh, it, it's like there was the old... There was a saying, the old actor saying about... Uh, I'm getting the name of the actor wrong. Uh, but, you know... Um, Dying is easy, but comedy is hard. And it's in, com mm -hmm. in comic book writing, dying is easy, continuity is hard. I mean, you could anybody has within them the uh, death of Superman or the death of Batman. Or, well, those are events, though. Those I are mean, events. You've got to you know can, this person in yeah. day to day and what their challenges on a day to day level. Might so you be. know who's going to fight the Joker. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right, and you can. But always... you also know what his internal struggles are, and that's where a lot of the other stories can be born. Well, that's from. what I'm saying. You you use stories without the Joker, without Luthor, so you yeah. know who is then going to fight these. Yes, exactly. Sure, sure. Exactly, and so it it becomes uh, because you because you are you all right? Yeah, I just had. Are you out of tape? No, screensaver. <laughs> um, so yeah. But but when you know who that is, then everything is motivated better. Because this becomes, like you, when you write Batman and the Joker and, you know, all those guys, they're your personal friends. You know them really, really well. And you write them based on your life experiences. I mean, you know, Hush, and I don't want to really get into it, but the entire Hush story that he told was born of a very personal conflict that he was going through at the time. And he just went, okay, not only do I understand this, but I'm going to use it. I'm going to deal with this and see how, you know, how Tommy comes out of it. Mm. And and he went to a very healthy place, which is you know I mean it was a really dark place to go to. Yeah. And you're writing something right now based on your own personal experiences and your opinions of that. Yeah. yeah. And so I mean it's it becomes so intensely personal. But when you have a movie like this and there's so much money riding on it, so many people and you guys know your industry, so many people are putting they, they want to put that tell their Superman their thumbprint has to go on this thing, which already sort of exists in the canon, and they take certain concessions and they go well. 
Most people know this about Superman, so we'll just gloss over it, but we kind of have to have this moment, and so then it becomes insincere. And we really need Superman to have a supercar and make a stop at McDonald's for a super meal. Right, yeah. and all that stuff starts to happen, and then also you've got executives who yeah. are regurgitating things that they've seen before, and then they think that people are stupid, and that we won't, so we all have to have an origin story, so it can't just be a really good story about this character whose symbol is all over this country. Right. You know, I mean, I think more people have seen the Superman symbol than have probably would be able to identify the presidential seal. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, that's kind of out there, but I would say it's probably close. Yeah. And so you've got this character who is, he's pretty canon as far as American culture is concerned. We could do a done in one really solid movie just kind of knowing who Superman is. He's right. a solid alien who helps people. Right. Well, what's it like on a bad day for him? And what does he cry about? Why does he need a fortress of solitude? And what's there? Why does he save all these really weird alien animals? You know, like, mm -hmm. this is interesting. This might make a really good movie. You know, like, that kind of stuff. Like, when you really know who Superman is, and you know what's hard for him, and where, again, his humanity lies, because we're all, you know, we're vain. We're a very vain race, and we want to see human stories. Well, like I said before, you know, these, these movies aren't so much movies, you know, they, they can take an interesting kind of independent film point of view. These are... These are events, and they have to serve many, many masters, you know. And so it's that's almost what I, yeah, that's exactly. And what it's almost like it's better to, to do these stories in the comics because you can um, hold up. Um, because uh, that way you can you and, and just they just you just have to be content with them being comic book stories, or you have to go out and create your own superhero, right? And put them through similar paces and have them be similar things. But you know, so but still, there's some good ones out there. Yeah. Yes. Marvel ones are pretty good. I loved the Avengers. Avengers was good. Mm -hmm. yeah. I loved it. We were in the car. <laughs> we were in the car after seeing it, and our nephew Peter was in the back seat, and he was assigning Avengers roles to everybody. And he said, "Well, you know, Uncle Paul, you're which one did he say you were? Were you Tony Stark or you Captain America?" It was the Hulk. No, oh uh, no. You oh, were the Hulk. Hulk. I was like, uh, so he's, he's he's going. Uh, I think I was Captain America. America. I think you were Captain America. Because you're Captain America because you're pretty solid. I'm Iron Man, and I said, which one am I, Peter? And he goes, well, you have to be a little bit Black Widow because you're the girl. He goes, but more than that, I think you're the Hulk because you're always a little bit mad. And I said, yeah, that's true. And I said, so I guess, and I said, so Paul said, so would that make her the Black Hulk? And I looked at Paul and I said, or the Incredible Widow. And Paul said, I don't like this at all. Let's change the subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you want to play some cards? Yeah, we keep saying that. So I think that what we'll do is we'll stop this one for now. And then we'll play Cards Against Humanity next week. Okay, a big tease. Uh, <laughs> will Emily be with us again? I, I, we gotta be silent. She may have to go back to her home planet for a visit. Yeah. Let's see. The silent watcher. <laughs> the creeper. The creeper. <laughs> what do you do, Emily? I just kind of sit here and creep. <laughs> oh. Okay, and all of a sudden the room goes quiet. <laughs> next week! We'll see you guys next week! No, we won't. You'll hear us next week. <laughs> Bye. This has been another episode of Radio Rashi. If you've enjoyed this episode, let everyone know by leaving a review in the iTunes store. It's a great way to help others find us. You can also leave comments on RadioRashi.com, Facebook.com forward slash Radio Rashi, or follow us on Twitter at Radio Rashi or at Paul underscore Dini to leave us questions. Thanks for listening, and tell your friends.